Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Soul. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. For us, you know, it's a next game mentality. I'm not really looking forward to who we play in three weeks, but who we play this week in Seattle. Come out and practice. And, you know, let the results show for themselves. You gotta go one and zero. You know, that's the mentality. Is you know, how do we get to one zero this week? Um, obviously, Seattle's playing really good football. I uh, got a really good team. Play hard as hell. Um, well coached. So we know we know you know what's coming in here this weekend. We just gotta be prepared. Have a good week, and um, you know, execute on Sunday. DeAndre. Hopkins followed by Kyler Murray on the mindset. Big stretch next three games. Kyler Murray focusing on just getting to 1-0, and which has to be the key. But you can't overlook the fact, Bick, that at 3-5 and five and playing the division leader Seattle for the second time in four weeks, mm-hmm. you can't fall behind that far, uh, the division leader, w- with eight games remaining yeah. and expect great results the rest of the way. Uh, so it does start Sunday and I believe exactly what you believe. If the Cardinals can find some way to improve their on-field product and win these three games, we're talking about a, a completely different season. Yeah, this is so. And, and again, I don't know what the odds of that happening are, but there is a chance. And with Kyler Murray, we know that quite literally anything can happen. I, I do think a couple of things. Um, as hi- hyperbolic as I have been about Cliff Kingsbury, deservedly so, the general manager, deservedly so, the owner, all of that. Kyler Murray bears some responsibility as well. He wasn't very sharp to begin the season. And as I said the other day, on the pecking order of quarterbacks, by the way of uh, of my looking at this, he's been passed by Jalen Hurts. He's been passed by Tua. And there's other people who have fallen down the list, so I'm not sure Kyler Murray's actual place has changed, but other younger quarterbacks have developed and gotten better uh, in front of our eyes, and it's it's not happening with him per se. As a result, Kyler Murray, um, I'll just read you the headline, uh, Kyler Murray has a trolling problem. Shut up, Jarrett! <laughs> The trolling problem that Kyler Murray has is that every time he loses a football game, every time he has an iffy performance, what happens to him on social media? Oh, people bring up the study clause. And video games. Call of, Call of Duty. All of yeah. it. Yeah. And so Patrick Peterson in the end zone doing the mock joysticking. So he's got a trolling problem. Now, Patrick did say on that podcast, oh, I don't know. I I was just doing it because the, the game came out that week. I don't play video games, but <laughs> right. I heard it's a really good right? game. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it, it, and this has happened every single time that the Cardinals have lost a game this this year. And there has been controversy within that game. Which, which is weird, by the way. And I, I hate to no, derail right. you. No, it's okay. Kyler Murray has not had an awful game yet this year. No, I he's don't not think he's had a, bad. He's not had a great game that yet this too. year. That too, and he needs to be great. Yes. That's exactly my point. And, and so, so even though there's a lot of issues with this football team, clearly he has got to lead the way this Sunday. He has got to be that good. He can't throw the ball up for grabs. He he needs to be smart under pressure. He needs to execute his throws technically. He needs to he needs to run the football. He needs to be really really good. We need to see really good Kyler Murray. I agree. This is the game. This is the game. It's got to happen for them because they're not coming back from three and six. There's no way they get up that hill. Well, this year or this week, I should say, is different. Yes, they recently played Seattle, but 
The Cardinals' most important offensive piece is back with the team, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seahawks, talked about how different the Cardinals are with him in the lineup. Well, it's different in that they know that he's out there and they're using the heck out of him. He's been targeted a ton since he's been back. Um, And he's come through and made terrific plays. The the touchdown catch he made last week was amazing. And uh, but he's they go to him in regular situations just to move the football as well, you know. So he's a big part of it, and and, uh, we have to. Our focus is different because he's playing this week. I was really interested uh, in week one. You bring back Hopkins. Cardinals get the win on the Thursday night game against the Saints. And one of the headlines coming out of that performance from Hopkins was, "Wow, the offense looks unlocked. They look freer." Cliff Kingsbury was moving around DeAndre Hopkins a lot. If you mm-hmm. looked at his spray chart and his route chart, he was on the left, he was on the right, he was everywhere. That was talked about a lot going into the game against Minnesota. And then it stopped. If you look at his route chart from last week, everything he ran in terms of receptions, and there was a lot of them, 12 catches, it was all on the left side of the field again. Wow. Um, so I, I, I don't I don't know the reason for that. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins did talk about uh, you know being moved around more in the offense. That's obviously good, but didn't win us the game. So, uh, and I'm not saying that lost us the game either, but it definitely put us in a position. But it didn't win us the game. So for me, it's whatever I can do to help us win, wherever wherever I need to be at. And uh, and obviously, Cliff did, did a good job for these past two weeks, He's trying to move me around. I can tell that the game plan. Uh, um, you know, is that to kind of just get me involved in different places. And uh, obviously, you know, sometimes it's to get other guys open, and I love it. I'm real curious to see how the Seahawks defense does mm-hmm. deal with DeAndre Hopkins being there. There's no secret they're going to give him double-digit targets again, ideally. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's and they have to. You've got to feed him the ball. That's it's one of the it's been one of the bright spots of this offense, and that is the way he has been, the way that he has produced in two games back. He had a sensational return uh, with a lot of pomp and circumstance. He had that incredible catch in the end zone that spurred the comeback last week. Yeah, they've got to continue to ride that as well. I'm, it's weird. I I did not know that his shot chart, if you will, was back to being predominantly left side of the football field. You wonder if it's a quarterback issue, and yet Kyler Murray has been on record as kind of poking fun at Cliff for, you know, how many yards DeAndre Hopkins was able to accumulate in year one with the Cardinals lining up primarily on the left side. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So you, I, I, it's, it, it would be a stretch to blame the quarterback for that when the quarterback's on record is saying, yeah, I, yeah, they really messed up in how they used him in the first year. You know, I looked it up this morning. Okay, there you go. Okay, now he did catch one pass, I believe, um, yeah, on the right. But at least ended up on the right side. He lined up on the left, and it was a crossing pattern all the way to the right. So that that's the difference in that looking shot chart than others. There are some crossing patterns in there, and that that really deep one, that last one, that was the one that he dropped. That Mm -hmm. would have been very influential. It's weird because you know there were times last week when Kyler Murray looked really good when some of his throws were like wow there's not a lot of quarterbacks in the league who can thread it like that and by the end of the day he had a hundred career total touchdowns only eleven players have reached that mark in fewer games than he has so you can t- click the prism this way and go okay you know what this kid look there are signs of a special quarterback here and and that's the thing we 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 keep seeing the signs we keep seeing the moments we keep seeing the special stats yet it. It's not harnessed. No, it's not. And one thing that needs to improve this week, um, and if you go back to the Seattle game, you look at the Cardinals' rushing numbers. They look good, but they were boosted by Kyler Murray getting 100 yards on his 10 carries. The traditional running game with Eno Benjamin, Keonta Ingram, was not productive. 
you know, at times this year, Cliff Kingsbury has been lauded for, hey, the running game wasn't exactly productive, but you stuck with it. You mm-hmm. remained two-dimensional. That didn't happen last week. They just completely abandoned the run because it wasn't productive. That game was never really out of hand, mm-hmm. yet it, it the, the operation in terms of pass versus run kind of was out of hand. Yeah. The Cardinals need to run the ball better, but they also need to do a better job of being more consistent and showing the run. As long as the oh, game yeah, is within got, reach. Oh, listen, definitely. They've, they have got to find some balance. Have to find some balance. Sounded like Mr. Miyagi just then. Balance. It's all about balance. Uh, have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. It's brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, the Philadelphia Eagles. Still undefeated on the season after their Thursday night win over the Texans. Uh, they, they are setting the tone in the NFC. We'll take a big picture look at the rest of the conference next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this Football Friday on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Sold, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Smith and Brown flank to the far side. Goddard, double tight end to the near side. Hurts gives it off. No, he has it. He fakes. He throws. Touchdown, Dallas Goddard. I know it's special for the for the for the city of Philadelphia, you know, and I mean I've I've been 80 no before and, and, and lost the national championship, you know what I'm saying? So you know, just take it day by day, you know what I'm saying? Take it day by day. Uh, we we haven't accomplished anything yet, you know, and it's just a it's a day by day thing of us. Um, trying to grow every day. I think that's truly what it's about. Merrill Reese on WIP, the voice of the Eagles with the uh, Jalen Hurts to Dallas Goddard touchdown and then Jalen Hurts talking about being undefeated. They still make that claim, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, not as easy as maybe we expected it to be. It was a game for about two and a half quarters and still a, a respectable showing by the Texans, I thought, against a, a good team in the Eagles. But there's one team uh, record-wise, that's head and shoulders above everybody in the conference in the league, and it's the Philadelphia Eagles right now. First time they've How ever been it? eight and zero. How about that? Yeah, and again, it's. I think people are questioning the validity of the Eagles to relative to their record. Uh, I heard somebody a couple of days ago debating. Well, maybe the Miami Dolphins of '72 should start getting nervous. I would never in a million years look at the, at the, at the Eagles as a team that could run the table, but. But Look, you never know what can happen in the NFL. Yeah. But I looked at their remaining schedule, their remaining nine games. Um, it's not exactly a world, you know, list of world beaters. Uh, ESPN flashed it up this morning on SportsCenter. And according to their ESPN football power index, they've only got less than a 50% chance of winning one of their remaining games. And that is the Dallas uh, game in Dallas on Christmas Eve. They have Washington at home, Mm -hmm. at Indianapolis, home versus Green Bay and Tennessee. That could be a tough game. Then three straight on the road, at the Giants, at the Bears, at the Cowboys. 
and then home games uh, against okay. the uh, Saints and All Giants. Right. Yeah. It's not the toughest schedule. It's not the toughest schedule, and I and I do think that it's it's lined up for them to be the number one seed. They're a very solid football team. Um, I, I last night was I was kind of like hitting up my Philly buddies, and just what a weird night it was for them to have that going on there and this going on here, trying to yeah. trying to make sense of it all, right? Yeah. The, the Eagles win, I don't think, was enough of a consolation prize to totally nullify the Phillies' loss, but it was close. Uh, I know you're not a Philly guy, but what did, what did you hone in on? Did, did you focus on one or the other? Uh, I honed in on the on the baseball game. I, I, the I did foot, too. The football, and I was getting so frustrated at, because just sitting there watching on a conventional television, I am not a dual screen kind of guy. I've tried it. I don't like it. I was one of the guys very early on who had one of the first picture-in-picture televisions. Oh, yeah. And I didn't like that either. Yeah, that technology when it came out, you're like, this is so awesome. This is and unbelievable. Then you it, you're like, this is stupid. There's a tiny, a tiny little corner <laughs> yes. of the screen that has. We thought it was uh-huh. great when we were in. Uh-huh. I was in college, and me and my roommates, my my, my one of my roommates, bought a fancy TV. Mm-hmm. It's like we can watch, we can play NHL '94, right, and then have a movie on in the corner. I'm like, this is awesome. This is unbelievable. And Thirty seconds in, it's like the movie is blocking it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> was it one of those big TVs that you had to wheel in? Like a big screen oh, that was as deep it, as it, it was it wide. It wasn't even that big. This was the mid-90s, so we thought like a 36-inch TV was the end-all, be-all of television technology. <laughs> That's amazing. How times have changed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we said it going in. I said it going into the Eagles-Cardinals game. That after watching the Eagles a few times, yes, they're good. They're beatable. The Cardinals proved they were beatable, Mm -hmm. which I think makes what the Eagles have accomplished so far through eight weeks maybe even that much more impressive. Yeah, they are they are a team with some some warts and weaknesses, but they find a way to win games. There's it's wide open in the NFC for a team to really get hot in November and establish themselves as the team. And you wonder what that team, who that team is going to be, what that team is going to look like um generally in situations like that you always side with the, the quarterbacks who are chasing the prize but that's where it gets complicated because Tom Brady's 3 and 5 Aaron Rodgers is 3 and 5 you look at the 49ers and you say to yourself man that addition of Christian McCaffrey as he continues to get more time in San Francisco that that thing there is going to be unreal and then you have to remind yourself yeah but it's Jimmy Garoppolo and 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 you can you can scheme against him and you can make them one dimensional and it's if if you do and you get out ahead of them so it it's it's really really is wide open and that's I mean, part of the thing too is just how mediocre everything is because uh-huh. you just said like they don't have a hard schedule technically they do have a hard schedule the eagles because the commanders are 500 that they play the giants twice who have a very good record the yeah, titans what, have but, a good record and the have, cowboys have a good record what have we said about the giants all year long but that's exactly are they, it. Are they as good as their record? Yeah. None of those teams we actually think are that good. Like, does anyone think the Titans are as good as their five and two record, or oh. the Giants are as good as the, their five, and, or the Cowboys are even? That here's good. an interesting stat for you, and I know we're focusing on the NFC, but you just brought up the Titans. They're five and two. Their point differential on the year is negative six. Really, the, more than anything in the NFC, you, you're just going to have to get in it. You're going to have yeah. to get in the playoffs, and that's that's the thing. And and once you get there, it, it's I think it's going to be open for everybody. It's it, 
it's really been the darndest thing. You look at a team like the Falcons, who I thought were going to be among the bottom feeders. They're in contention for a division title. You look at the, the Panthers. Hey, we all wrote their obituary in May, Vic. <laughs> right. And the Panthers, as laughable as they seem for, I mean, they were literally a kick away from being atop that division. The yeah. commanders are Panthers The commanders and Taylor Heineke. And this kid's been good for them. They love this kid. It's it's bizarre. It really, really is bizarre. And then the Seahawks story that we're, you know, we're going to live this weekend and, and hopefully unplug this weekend. It's been crazy. It just makes it all the more painful that the Cardinals haven't been able to take advantage of it. And even without doing that, they're still right in it. Doubt. Without a doubt. Because if you'd have said going in that the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady would be effectively kind of just completely suppressed, you'd go, oh, wow. Because they were among the headliners. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think most people Nuts. thought that they thought the Packers, the Buccaneers, and the Rams would be the three best teams. And right now, none of those teams would even be in the playoffs. No, and, and we've kind of tossed that around. I, I agree with the assessment. We had Steve Weish. That question got asked, too. Like, what, which of these veteran quarterbacks or, or teams uh, in the NFC can turn it around? Mm-hmm. I don't think the Rams can turn it around with the offensive line problems they have. I don't think the Packers can turn it around. Aaron Rodgers didn't practice yesterday, so his status for this week is up in the air. But their lack of offensive talent is really catching up with them. I still look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And and wouldn't that be just the ultimate? You know, Here we are in real time watching the unraveling Mm -hmm. of Tom Brady professionally. As a quarterback, you know, hold that up against his, his personal issues that have been in the news. You want to talk about a, a, a way to, to rewrite the ending of your story. If, if he could find a way to turn this around, which I'm not saying is impossible. I think that's the team I would pinpoint. Because still. that's the team that if they got to the playoffs, they've got the quarterback who yes. knows how to win all those situational matchups. Yes. I look at this, and there was a time in, in football where for the longest time, the NFC Championship game felt like the de facto Super Bowl. It was the Cowboys versus the Niners. It was the Packers versus the Cowboys. They had three Three teams that were the best teams in football, and the AFC was a mad soup. Now, that's a good name for a soup store, Mad Soup. Good name for a band, too. So the AFC was this Mad Soup, and you might get Stan Humphreys in the Chargers one year. You might get Neil O'Donnell in the Pittsburgh Steelers one year. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like the AFC championship game is going to be painted as the Super Bowl because it's probably going to be Bills Chiefs, maybe Bills Ravens, and then the NFC is going to be a Mad Soup. It's almost like the whole thing is flipped. Jared, what'd you eat over the weekend? Oh, man, man I ate mad man, soup. What's the last kind of soup you had? Have you had an autumnal soup yet, Jared? Hmm. I'm trying to think. I haven't had that much soup lately. I had soup fair. last night. I had a delicious oh. cup of chicken tortilla. That does sound delicious. Yeah, very, uh, a lot of green chili. It was very spicy. Very good. Am I making you jealous, Jared? That does sound delicious right now. <laughs> a man who loves his soup. Again, a man. They always bring in donuts on Friday. For once, could Why they Why don't bring... they bring in some soup? Well, yeah. Just, could... yeah some... Breakfast burritos yeah, or something. Yeah, right. Some Breakfast food. sandwiches. Something, something with salt, not sugar. Savory, not sweet. Yeah. Exactly. Jared, looking a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, no, I will eat a donut. Don't get me wrong. I'm going <laughs> to eat wrong. one. I'm just complaining about it. Text Devils to 620-620 for your chance to win VIP field and tailgate passes to see the ASU uh, Devils take on Oregon State 
courtesy of Bar S. Once again, that's Devils to 620-620. Oh, my goodness. It's already 730. It's time to get rebooted. Zach Larson will take us through the reboot next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Yep, every morning at 7.30, we, uh, we go through the big stories of the day with the Rush Hour reboot. We got no Sarah today. She's got the day off. Young Zach Larson, the guy with the pipes, he's here to take us through the reboot. Today. Oh, how are you? I'm Zach Larson. <laughs> <laughs> what do well you got for us, Zach? All right, Welcome to Bickley and Murata, where there yes. are no sacred cows. Yes, we, we go after it. How, how young are you, actually? I'm 21. Oh, my God. Are you really? I'm 21, turning oh. 22 in February. So, Oh, well, then. That's... Look at you. Yeah. Way ahead of the curve. I know. With a voice that sounds like he's 41. Give him the voice again, Jarrett. Hello, I'm Zach Larson. I'm, all right. No, it's good. I'm not. It's, it's impressive, though. That's no, a very, I agree. That's an I old like school Zach thing. Larson. He's the, good. The broadcasting voice you don't see anymore that much in, in sports broadcasting. That is true. All right, let's go ahead. <laughs> let's start off with the NFL. So Sunday features the second and final season matchup for the Arizona Cardinals taking on the Seattle Seahawks at State Farm Stadium. The last time these two met, it was all Seattle. 19-9 was the final score. The Cardinals offense mustering only three points, and that came on the opening drive of the game. But the difference between that game and Sunday's, DeAndre Hopkins. Here's Seattle head coach Pete Carroll on what Hopkins brings to the offense. Well, it's different in that they know that he's out there and they're using the heck out of him. He's been targeted a ton since he's been back. Um, And he's come through and made terrific plays. The the touchdown catch he made last week was amazing. And uh, but he's—they go to him in regular situations just to move the football as well, you know. So he's a big part of it, and and, uh, we have to. Our focus is different because he's playing this week. On the other hand, quarterback Geno Smith had a lot of praise for the Cards' defense. Here's what the uh, the games. The quarterback had to say. All the teams that we play are going to give us uh, a bunch of looks and try and make the game as hard as possible, which they should. And so the Cardinals, yes, they do present a lot of challenges, and they do. They're very multiple. Uh, They're going to show us some looks that we haven't seen in this game. Um, And so we've just got to, like I always say, uh, stick to our rules, uh, You know, go with what we see, communicate, and then obviously go out there and make the plays. But they have a really good defense, um, and they have a, a really good coordinator. And so they present a ton of challenges and we gotta, we got to be ready for them. So which of these two do you guys think is a bigger priority in this matchup? The Cards offense clicking against a very lackluster and young Seahawk defense or the Car- the Arizona defense trying to su- shut down a Seattle offense that has been in rhythm pretty much all season long? It's a good question. Um, I'm still going to side with the offense. We've seen an uptick in production the last couple weeks, but it's still not where it needs to be yeah. in terms of red zone, in terms of operation and communication. I'm put I'm putting that onus on the offense. Yeah, I'm I think it's going to be on the offense as well because the Seahawks defense was lackluster until they played the Cardinals mm-hmm. and ever since they've been good and they've got a good secondary. There wasn't a lot 
of separation anywhere for Cardinal wide receivers last time they played. That was without DeAndre Hopkins. So to me, um, it's offense where they need to, to, to shine. All right, sticking with the Cardinals, a couple players have not practiced this week offensively. Rodney Hudson, DJ Humphreys, Max Garcia, pretty much the whole offensive line has not practiced, but on defense, a card, a name that Cards fans definitely want to see something change. Buda Baker has not practiced on Wednesday or Thursday, dealing with an ankle injury. He's questionable for Sunday's matchup. If Baker is unable to suit up for this week's matchup, do you have confidence in the Cardinals' defense to perform as well as they did for most of the last game against Seattle or play even better against the Seahawks? Uh, my answer is no. I don't have that that confidence. Buda Baker is very, very instrumental in what to, the defense does. And let's be honest about it. The defense has not been good the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. So you take away uh, the emotional leader, the lead-by-example guy, uh, and a physical presence in, in Buda Baker. That's a huge loss. That, yeah, that, 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 that might be a, a death knell if he can't go. I think Jalen Thompson can fill Buda Baker's role fairly well, but I, it does kind of break down a real strength of this football team. And it's one of the things I really like about the Cardinals' safeties and the Cardinals' defense. It, it's the linebackers and their safeties. They'll they'll get after you. They're they're yes. they'll put you down on the ground, and and they enjoy hitting. And I think there's a level of physicality to them that I really really enjoy. That I have that has really been lacking for the better part of the twenty plus years I've been. Buda Baker's a big part of that. He'll put his nose in anything. Yeah, that's a huge loss. Anytime he's not on the football field, uh, history will show you that that defense has struggled. And it'd probably be more Chris Banjo. And then do what? Do you think maybe they'd go back to using Isaiah Simmons in the secondary a little? I would hate to probably put not. Isaiah Simmons anywhere other than where he is right now. Yeah, they finally hit some sort of uh, of benchmark with Isaiah Simmons. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you on that. Can Chris Banjo score a touchdown for the second consecutive? game against the Seahawks? That's the question. <laughs> no? No, the answer is no. Uh, yes. <laughs> no. Chris Banjo's your offense. You're in big yeah. trouble. Yeah. All right. Over to the NBA tonight is the first of two games at the Footprint Center on back-to-back nights against the Portland Trailblazers, which will wrap up the three-game season series after just nine games into the NBA season. Here's Devin Booker on playing the Blazers two straight nights. Well, I like it. Um, that's baseball-like. You know, I think it's cool. You know, whatever happens, result of the first game, you know, the, the second one is going to have this type of motivations from the night before. So, you know, I'm cool with it. So, Book's cool with it. I'm sure the rest of the Suns are cool with it. But after the way last season ended with Chris Paul flaming out, Booker not playing his best ball at the end of the postseason, just exhaustion playing a factor in the Suns season, should the Phoenix should Phoenix consider resting Paul or Booker within one of these two games? Resting? No. Uh, it, I think you, you, you've you got a good thing going. You just play like you've been playing tonight. And then if there are any adjustments need to be, if you have to really stretch out, then maybe dial back. But play off what happens tonight. Approach tonight like you've approached the last seven games and then make adjustments afterwards. Yeah, they've had two days off since their last game against uh, Minnesota on Tuesday. So I kind of agree with Vic. I'm not a big fan of that. Anyway, especially it, it, it's important for the Suns to win these games. So, no, I'm not. I'm not there on the rest thing. It was uh, such a talking point though with Chris Paul. It, it Are they going to manage his minutes more this year? Are they going to give him days off this the, year? The, the management of Chris Paul has not been minute based, really. Um, I mean, outside of 
What was the game? Was it the New Orleans game where he didn't play really much in the fourth quarter? Or no, it was the uh, was the opener, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the opener yeah, against Dallas. Against Dallas. Dallas. But that was six thirty one. Yeah, that was because the team was coming back without him. It wasn't. It was not because they were managing his minutes. Yeah, definitely. But I, I, the way that he's being used within the minutes he's playing has changed, not necessarily the number of minutes. So, you know, it's not identical to last year. And, you know, we're, we're eight games into the season, so I'm still good with it. All right, and finally, let's wrap up with some baseball. Game 5 of the World Series featured a lot of bad offense with a couple home runs and ultimately an Astros 3-2 win, making them one game away from eight, their second title in franchise history and the first since 2017, a season with an asterisk on it due to the cheating scandal. Now, Philadelphia, on the other hand, is enjoying a lot of success in the rest of the sports world. The Eagles just won their eighth game of the season against the Houston Texans to remain undefeated, and the 76ers are clicking and on a three-game winning streak, certainly a playoff contender. And let's be honest, fans from Philadelphia can be a, a little little bit much at times. So, <laughs> which would you prefer? Giving the World Series to the best team in the American League that has its history stained with cheating, or giving the Commissioner's Trophy to, to a city that once booed Santa Claus and likely has contenders in two other major sports? Sports. Yeah, I uh, and also I, it was the worst team in the entire playoffs record wise. Yeah, I, yeah, I still really detest the Houston Astros. I, I, I can't. I have not forgotten what they've done to baseball, and so it's even at the risk of the economy crashing, which happens every time the yeah. f- the Phillies win the World Series. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm cheering for the Wait. Phils. Are you saying if, if, they, if they come Kyle back, Schwarber, <laughs> Big McBride? Uh, are you saying if the Phillies win the World Series, that's when the economy goes in the tank? The recession. Wow. It, it could get worse if they come back. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe that alone makes you cheer for the the Astros. I don't know. I'm not cheering for... Uh, yeah, it's impossible for me to cheer for the Astros. Yeah, very, very impressive. By the way, real, just on a side note, how strange have the last three games of the World Series been? Very. Philly hits five home runs in Game 3. They get no hits in Game 4. The very first batter of Game 5 hits hit a home, home run. run. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. And that was kind of their highlight. Well, it was funny, too, because, again, it was one of those things where after the no-hitter, Kyle Schwarber's like, I don't give a bleep. And then he comes up and starts the next game with a home run. Really didn't give a bleep? Yeah, really yeah. didn't. Uh, there you go. We're all Thank rebooted. You, Thanks, Zach. Uh, Rush Hour Reboot every morning at 730. Coming up, we will get a closer look at the opposition for the Cardinals this week, the Seattle Seahawks. Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune will give us that look. Next, it's Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Auction Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Sold, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cardinals Seahawks Sunday at State Farm Stadium. Second time in four weeks those teams will get together. Seahawks won the first matchup. Here to talk about the Seahawks, a team, uh, a writer who covers them for the Tacoma News Tribune, uh, Greg Bell, their beat writer, joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Well, good morning. Uh, the last time these teams got together, uh, we viewed it here in Arizona, Greg, as an opportunity for a struggling Cardinals offense 
to get right against a bad Seattle defense. The exact opposite happened. Uh, the struggling Seattle defense got right against the Cardinals, and they've been a different team. Can, can you just talk about the changes you've seen defensively from the Seahawks in this stretch? Well, you were right. They were the worst defense in the league coming into that game. They were the worst run defense. They were giving up almost 200 yards a game. They were just coming off a New Orleans game where Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill each had 100 yards. The Niners steamrolled them. They went to a 3-4 up here in Seattle this year. They changed from Pete Carroll's longtime 4-3. And in September, the 3-4, the run fits were poor. They, they weren't. It's more of a gap control defense. And the defensive linemen and linebackers were not controlling or getting to assign gaps. That Arizona game was the game that they decided to be more aggressive up front. Less read and react. Shelby Harris and Puna Ford and Brian Monet and Al Woods, the defensive line, Quentin Jefferson became much more of attacking, just beat the guy over him and go find the ball. And that has worked for them. And it's less read and reacting and the run fits are not as big a deal if you're beating your blocker and destroying the run's blocking scheme as soon as the snap. And that's really what happened in starting in the Arizona game. Now, the Cardinals, of course, are down to their four-string running back. Emma Benjamin was the lead back that day. And they got nothing from their running backs. Mm-hmm. And then up being Kyler Murray just scrambling around getting 100 yards. At least half of those were on scramble plays off of pass plays. I thought the Cardinals hurt themselves in Kingsbury the keeping Kyler Murray in the pocket on those fourth downs when the Cardinals didn't have a kicker healthy and they weren't kicking field goals and they got to the red zone. They got stopped on four fourth downs and on three of them they just left Murray ten yards deep in the pocket. Mm-hmm and the pocket collapsed on him because the Seahawks knew they had to throw. That, to me, was the key of the first game. The, the, the Cardinals, because they could not run the ball for an obvious passing situation, turned along way more than Seattle faced defensively. We got a third and shorts up until that game, and that made the Cardinals one-dimensional, and Murray got sacked five times and only scored nine points. I, even with still the running back, injury issues that the Cardinals have. I think DeAndre Hopkins coming back <laughs> means they're going to score more than nine points. <laughs> We'd hope. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about that. Alright, it's funny because the day that Russell Wilson was traded, um, yeah, I heard from people in Seattle who said it was one of those days that people who live in Seattle will never ever forget where they were the moment that whole thing happened. And, and there were a lot of people questioning the sanity of, of putting this rebuild in the hand of a 70-year-old man. What does it feel like now that that narrative has been flipped on its ear, how the Seahawks have become a Cinderella story, how this has kind of been affirmation of Pete Carroll's status as a heavyweight coach, and more importantly, what kind of swagger does this team have because of all of that? Well, it, the feeling around the area, and not necessarily inside the building, is one of vindication, and that the, we're right after all, and Seattle did it right, and everyone else was wrong, but even Seattle and Seahawks fans thought the Seahawks were crazy for what they were doing, and they expected a couple years of a complete rebuild. The Seahawks planned guys when they traded Wilson, and it became apparent to them that they weren't going to want to pay him $50 million a year, the going rate. 2023 when his contract was ending and he made it clear that he was wanting to go somewhere else and picking Denver. The plan was okay, we'll get these draft picks from the Broncos. We're going to have four picks in the first two rounds next year and a draft 2023 that has all kinds of NFL living quarterbacks CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and on and on. So the Seahawks plan was to come out with a quarterback by the end of the 2023 draft. And in the meantime, we'll have Drew Locke battle with Geno Smith, and each of them are on one-year contracts, 
And whoever wins that will be the placeholder until they get their quarterback of the future in the next spring's draft. And Smith obviously has changed that. And if he can keep this up, it's only eight games. But at this rate, he's commanding a new multi-year deal from Seattle. And he'll go from $1.2 million in base salary and $3 million, including incentives, to $20-some million or more a year. Maybe a two- or three-year deal. So Pete Carroll was right in this instance of he was the last man in not only the building but in the region and in the Pacific Northwest that wanted to trade Russell Wilson. It was only when... The Broncos offered him everything they did, including three players and four top picks. That Carroll started to say, "Okay, I think we could do this." <laughs> he heard that once he saw that Russell Wilson telling him he may not be around much anyway. That's why they made the deal. But it's even beyond his expectations for how Geno Smith has played. He picked Smith over a lot, guys, because he didn't want a gunslinger, risk taker quarterback. He wanted someone who didn't turn the ball over. And he's gotten far more than a guy that doesn't turn the ball over. Yeah. He's got a guy who leads the league in completion percent. He's third in passer rating. He's throwing the ball down the field. After a couple games of just dink and dunk, they've opened it up. He's got 2,000 yards passing. So, yeah, the quarterback wow. play. The defense's revival is one thing, but Geno Smith playing so far above his career average. I mean, this guy was on the bench for seven years of four teams before this. <laughs> yeah, it makes it even more amazing. Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. It, uh, um, you know, there's different ways you can spearhead a rebuild. Uh, one of those ways is through the draft, and we were talking about it earlier. John Schneider's recent draft, this most recent draft class, you find two starters on the offensive line, two starters in your secondary, a dynamic running back, an edge rusher. I mean, in the first five rounds, they've added five impact rookies. That class, Greg, how big, uh, how instrumental has it been in this Seahawks turnaround? Well, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing, guys, because they had so many needs and so many opportunities for young guys to play that... And for the first time in 12 years, they drafted to need. This team has drafted all kinds of projects and basketball players and college <laughs> defensive linemen and turning them into linebackers, offensive linemen, and uh, LJ Collier, no one had being a first round pick. Malik McDowell, who never even played a game in the league, was a top pick for them. Rashad Penny, who a lot of people didn't think was a first round pick, became one for them. They went against the grain for so many years. And they also had a, a Hall of Fame draft class in 2011-12, those years with Daryl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson and Cam Chancellor in the fifth round, and Richard Sherman was a fifth-round pick. But they, the law of averages caught up with them in the draft. You can hit on like that all the time. And they went for about six years that they were really dry, but at the top of the draft is where it hurt most of the law. This year, because of the trade with Denver, they had a top-ten pick for the first time since 2010. And Charles Cross was picked ninth overall, and you pick a left tackle at ninth, he's going to play. He's a guy you think can be your everyday guy for years, and that's what happened. They had their highest pick in 12 years. They used it on a linchpin left tackle, and he's been all that in a bag of chips since the very first practice of minicamp. Yeah. The surprise of that is on the right side, Abe Lucas, third-round pick from Washington State, he's been a starter since day one because he's just as fast and as big. They have outside tackles now that can get outside the edge rushers, are strong enough and fast enough to get outside after years of having Brandon Shell and Jermaine Effetti and a 36-year-old Dwayne Brown and could not keep up with outside edge rushers. Well, now they can. 
those two rookie tackles might be the unsung MVPs of this team because it's allowed Geno Smith the time to throw and step up into a well-formed pocket. It's allowed Kenneth Walker, another one of those rookies that they needed and drafted in the second round because Chris Carson was going to have to retire because of a neck surgery. It's given him run lanes because of the tackles. And then Carroll just went all in on the rookie corners. He and only he decided that Tariq Woolen, first of all, that he wanted to draft him because he never saw a 6'4 guy run a 4-2-6-40. (laughs) And he saw Richard Sermon. He saw a former college wide receiver converted a couple years ago to corner with long 32-plus-inch arms and tall, rangy guy. He's made him Richard Sherman. He's even brought Richard Sherman in to teach and coach him in the summer. And from the first preseason game, guys, he said, Tariq's Woolen, my guy. And now... Teams don't even throw to Tariq Warren. It's like Richard Sherman 2013. Yeah. They they just shut down that side. The Giants only threw to his side twice and not until the fourth quarter. Kobe Bryant, nickel guy, never played nickel before. Carroll made him a nickel back. And uh, everything they've done in the secondary for the rookies has turned to gold, and Carroll has, has hit on those guys. Yeah. Greg, great stuff. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and give us, giving us some insight on the Seahawks. We appreciate it. All right. Happy weekend, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, man. Greg Bell, Tacoma News Tribune. He joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. We got business to attend to next. And the 8 o'clock business is the Bickley Blast. Bick will deliver it next here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.